I cannot be sitting here today had I not gone through that experience to really just be okay with myself because we're so hard on ourselves. We're so constantly like, oh, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And when you are like, hey, what's my 30, 60, 90? Let's back it up. What's the one thing I have to do today to move my business, to move my health, to move my family, my relationships better? So we get out of this constant looking back or looking forward and we're not here present. And my hope is just to help others because I've launched a lot of companies. I've had a lot of failures or, or what I say that weren't successful. It's not failures. It just, you know, I'm falling forward. Yeah, I'm learning. It's like, damn, it's so hard. It's so hard. And it is so hard. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Pamela Norton. Pamela is the CEO and founder of Title Chain and the founder of Borsetta Labs, a pioneer in technology to enable secure, trusted, decentralized AI and private computation at the edge. She is a proven leader of world-class disruptive technology solutions and high-performing product development teams, specializing in startup and scaled growth stages for Fortune 1000 companies. She has compiled her learnings into an upcoming book called Our Lives, Business, and the Future on the Edge, where she presents fundamental technology and cultural changes. You can learn more about Pamela at titlechange.world and at borsetta.io. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Pamela. Pamela, welcome to the corporate couch. Good morning. How are you? Thank I'm, you. I'm I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah. Thank you for good joining. afternoon for you. Maybe. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just turned afternoon here in uh, Central Time Zone in Kansas City. And uh, where are you calling from today? Um, I'm in Los Angeles today. L.A. Okay. Yeah. And you're based in uh, Wyoming, Wyoming, though. Yeah. Okay. Yep, in between Jackson and Cheyenne and many other places, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we got introduced by my uh, uh, junior high and high school classmate, uh, Lisa um, Syme. And uh, so, yeah, this is phenomenal because uh, Lisa haven't published her uh, podcast interview yet. Uh, that'll be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, I'm... Uh, very excited to dig into uh, crypto and blockchain and digital assets. And I am by uh, no stretch an expert, but uh, your background and what you've done in your career, I'm excited to uh, dig into. So, uh, so let's just start with a fun question. Uh, I've been asking people since we're now used to Zoom as kind of uh, 
uh, you know, our daily lives here and, um, you know, work lives. What is the craziest attire, Pamela, you've seen on a professional Zoom call or lack of attire? It would probably be me. And I use scarves as accessories when I'm still in my pajamas. And so a couple team members have noticed that they're kind of leopard print, <laughs> like TMI here, but um, sometimes I don't cover the scarf enough. And then they'll be pinging me in the chat saying, are you still in your pajamas? And I'm like, no, I dressed up. I have a scarf. <laughs> love it. I love, I love, yeah. I love when people give up themselves. I had a local, actually a voiceover talent expert that was in corporate radio for years in Kansas city. And he was saying he had his underwear, he had his underwear on many Zoom calls and once did get up <laughs> and, you know, so there you go. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I love like the scarf with the pajamas. That, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. So I, I love to understand people's beginning, not that we're going to dig into your childhood a lot, but uh, where did you grow up and what did you love doing as a child? So I always, I love that uh, when I have uh, interviews, I love asking people like, hey, so you were born and then what, right? Because what it does is it really tells me how people talk about themselves. And if they just jump right to, hey, you know, I went to Harvard, blah, 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 you know, they're not really necessarily maybe um, someone that's right for our team or right for the company. Uh, so I really like to understand like how people are wired. And so for me, you know, I was born in Denver um, you know, one of four girls, right? My, my father, <laughs> who was an athlete, kind of, you know, was a little bit of a struggle, but I became his athletic companion playing tennis and trying to be like a boy, right? Playing sports. But um, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, which I think, you know, helps sort of, you know, give individuals the spirit of entrepreneurialism. And my grandfather launched a meat business, meat packing company. And um, my dad went on to work in that. And my grandfather created some really revolutionary ways to store beef and other things. And then he was the first to export US beef to Asia, to Japan specifically. So, you know, my lens expanded at a very young age that I was able to travel international at the age of 12 was my first time going to Japan and going to you know, an extremely foreign culture, right? Especially at that time, but I was so fascinated. I was fascinated with the people, the language, the food. And I, I look back now that that is really the sort of marking of how I look at the world, right? And so from that, I ended up um, studying in the summer, my high school years, I was odd. I just didn't fit in. I, you know, all my friends were going to CU, CSU and, you know, going to be in the sorority and all of that. And I just felt different. I always did. I was always looking out the window and dreaming of international business. And I thought, why? You know, I'm just this girl in Denver and I'm dreaming so big, but I just felt I wasn't bold and I, I didn't have a voice and I, I wanted to push myself. And so I ended up going to um, university in, in Tokyo and it was a sister, um, Jesuit uh, University is a sister school to Regis College in Denver. And um, so it, it was life-changing, right? I had friends from all over the world, from Brazil, from India. My best friends were 
individuals from all different cultures. And so that I think formed really who I am and how I hire, how I look at people, how I come up with whatever ideas that's percolating in my crazy brain. <laughs> so when I came back, I just, I didn't fit, right? I was so international and I was so, wow, the world is, is so big and there's so much opportunity. And I felt coming back to the States was kind of a, a little bit of a downer, you know, like I was like, oh, back home, but I ended up starting uh, with a um, ad agency in Chicago and as a, a runner running around, dropping off photographs and came back to Denver and got on with a startup. And it was a startup in health tech. And now that I look back sort of at my experiences, you know, I've been through, it was a synthetic skin. So it was a way, it was very revolutionary on how it treated wound and burn patients. And, you know, when you're in a startup, you have to wear so many hats. So I was marketing and I was product development and I, you know, I didn't know anything, but I was always very curious, always a sponge, always trying to say, how can I get better? How can I learn more? And what I learned from that, which has kind of, uh, I've, I've used throughout my career is, you know, you're in a very early uh, disruptive tech stage, right? And here I am trying to sell a product that is basically opposite of what doctors and nurses were taught to do, like how to treat wound, burn patients, right? And here am I, like, I'm not a doctor. Who am I? Like, I'm an imposter, but I know the product works, right? I know the data that supports it, right? And um, so you have to find those early adopters. You have to find those people that you connect with saying, hey, I'll give it a try, right? We'll test it, right? We'll build more data to support this product. Um, and we ended up getting acquired by uh, uh, an international lab company. And so I had a little taste of success of, a, of an exit. And then I thought, oh, I need to go on to a big corporate job and kind of do the uh, big corporate sort of thing and went on to United Airlines. And my first job there, um, it didn't last very long because it was in HR. And so if you look at people who are like really super creative and innovative and all of that, HR is not, is not the exactly. job. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was going to die. I was like, oh my gosh, we had to wear a certain uniform and stay in the lines. And, you know, I couldn't ask like, hey, you were born and then what? Right. So uh, I ended up transferring to um, the data center, which at that time was um, in Denver, the entire reservation system for United Airlines, all the um, <clears throat> sister companies that were part of um, United's uh, cooperative at that time. And again, knew nothing about technology, right? And so this was the move of mainframes to PCs and all of that sort of stuff that was happening. And I ended up just, again, being a sponge again, working in the development group of these new products. That time it was like mid nineties, we were doing some AI expert systems, like crazy, crazy stuff. And we spun off a unit. And so again, it was my chance to be part of a new division, you know, taking products that we had developed for airlines. How do you sell it now to healthcare companies? How do you now sell it to, you know, other um, entities that can leverage this, um, uh, this insight. And then I get the resistance, right? So this is the resistance that you fight every time when you're in an innovative 
uh, marketplace. And the resistance, you know, as Bill Gates said, hey, the internet, we're not interested in it, right? You get all the naysayers. Everyone is like, this is just a sham. It's a scam. And I had presented this new internet agent, right? I had said, hey, we need to launch this new product. This is where the market's going. You're not going to get on a phone with an agent. You're going to find your best travel and, you know, you get laughed at. And, you know, I was told by, um, you know, our new president that we brought in our division that the internet was a fad. So I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. (laughs) So that has been my career ever since is... I, you know, I'm early on to just crazy things going from travel to mobile internet on the go. We've deployed internet um, access units, got acquired by a group out of Sweden, launched a whole mobile and social initiative. Early on, people are like, what is 140 characters? Why would I need to learn Twitter? Like, I don't understand it. And again, trying to communicate to businesses that you're losing control, do you understand? You know, businesses had control up to that point. They would issue a press release. This is it. This is our position and end of story, right? Now, all of a sudden, you have people talking about you, talking about your brand, right? How do you get ahead of it, right? So it's, you know, the laggards that struggle so much with this new tech, right? Because they can't move that fast, right? And then they're in denial. Then they'll say, hey, we'll just sit back and acquire it. But where we are, fast forward now today... Uh, as I've been percolating in the um, Bitcoin kind of space and just trying to understand blockchain technology and everything um, since 2014, is that it's not about just waiting to acquire these companies now because it's a decentralized economy. It's not centrally controlled. And so the acquisitions of the past have always been, hey, winner takes all. I'm going to go buy this, right? Take more and now we are truly decentralized, right? Where we have more coopetition and more cooperatives. Um, and it's just a different structure of business. And so I believe 80% of S&P 500 will no longer exist. That will happen. The disintermediation of huge entities that you would never think, you know, like a blockbuster <laughs> would go out of business. Kodak, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, so it is truly the most exciting time, you know, certainly in my career of what I've seen and what I've experienced, but it's more intense if I can, like, the stakes are so much higher because we have an internet revolution, we have a financial revolution, and we have a business revolution. And when you combine those, and now you add on intelligence from an AI perspective, it's just radical, right? Right. It's just beyond. Sometimes I'm just amazed at, at where we're at with the technology and where we've progressed. So we are offering digital asset registration services. So we're kind of a new registered agent for digital asset. And people are like, I don't like, why do I want to do it? What's the problem you're solving? And what we've been trying to solve for the past six years is just going back to you know, Jeff, we have to, we have to go back to the beginning. Who are you? (laughs) WTF, right? Like our identities have been stolen. Everything has been compromised, right? We don't trust anyone. And so, uh, so it begins with just your attestation to your personhood. I am a human being and I'm taking control of my self-sovereign identity. And so from there, 
you go through and say, okay, I have a driver's license or I have a passport, right? But you are in control of that. That becomes an asset. That driver's license physically becomes an asset of value, right? Because we've given away all of our value. We've given away all of our data. We've given away everything. And so now think about, a, you know, when we used to go to a bank and you would have you know, the little storage box, the, um, oh, the uh, safety deposit box. Safety deposit, yeah. yeah, it's so old, I forget the name right. sometimes. So I just try to tell people, think about that, right? You had a safety deposit box of your valuables that were locked up. You owned and controlled the key. They let you in the vault, right? But you still own the control key of what you took out, right? So it's, that's the future. We're going to have, you know, these digital safety deposit boxes that we own and control whether it's my ID that I open up and say, yes, I'm traveling. Yes, check. Yes, I'm approved to go. But nobody else needs that data, right? It's, hey, all I'm doing is going through TSA. You're the only one that needs it. There's no back door or open kimono that Facebook and everybody else gets it. So it's a concept that is foreign, right? Because we've, we've all just been the product. You know, we've given away everything because we've gotten free service and yet we own and control nothing on our phone, right? You pay $1,200 for your Apple phone and you pay $50, $100 or whatever for the service of that phone. And yet all of that data, you don't get monetization at all on any of your data or control of it. So we're trying to sort of take back control of these assets that now reside digitally just a digital representation of whether it's a house title, car title, or it's some unique digital asset that is an algorithm that I developed. I now can license that in a new way using a token, right? The token just represents something of value. And however we want to determine its value, Jeff, you know, you want to buy my algorithm, you get to use it every month and it's going to give you the best stock tips or whatever. Your wallet is paying my wallet, the $100 a month or whatever. We have a person-to-person -person payment, right? I don't need to go through a third party to get the invoice to you that you then pay the invoice 30 days later. It's wallet-to-wallet -wallet transactions. So when you see that, you can see why so many people don't want this to happen, right? Because you're disintermediating everyone, notaries, banks, like lawyers. Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask, but uh, the first one, because I, I, I do want to circle back on your a little bit of your career journey. But the first one I'll say is, what do you think is the most the average American? What is their extent of knowledge in this whole AI blockchain crypto space? And how does that compare with kind of, you know, ROW rest of world average? You know, what, you know, are we behind in the U.S. in terms of the, you know, kind of average understanding of what is happening today? We are really behind. And again, I've been in front of members of Congress, you name it, for years trying to educate and trying to say that we are losing our position as the reserve currency. And the reason why other nations are embracing it because they understand what inflation does and how it decimates an economy. These people have lived through thousand percent inflation and they see an asset class that they can store their money in, right? Their, their work or whatever. 
to not have a thousand percent inflation for their peso or whatever, right? So they know that if there's a, a way for them to get paid and to get paid instantly, and they're not going to Western Union and paying $30 waiting for money from the US where their sister can send that money directly and you're paying cents, pennies for that transaction. So for those countries and those people who understand what, you know, like how inflation just kind of decimates an economy, they're adopting it. You know, um, the UK just announced they recognize cryptocurrencies, the, the parliament, they recognize stable coins. It's, it's going to get passed. Uh, it goes to the king then to, for signature. So every uh, Brazil's just um, finalized theirs, every Saudi Arabia uh, you, you know, so you look and obviously China now has said, oh, OK, uh, we're going to open up exchanges in Hong Kong now. Well, who do you think the exchanges are in Hong Kong? So they're back in crypto. They were never out. Right. Uh, they just didn't know how to control it. And then they realized they couldn't. And the U.S. is just stumbling here right now. And the crackdown from the SEC is just it's completely the wrong path. They sat for years not doing any regulation. I mean, we've fought for years to have them, you know, put in some form of regulation, and yet they were letting, you know, FTX of the world speak in front of Congress while he had 138, you know, companies that were all like running on Excel. I mean, <laughs> they knew, like, come on. So, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but hmm, I do think, you know, bad money always goes in to push out good, right? That's typically what you always see. Because remember, like when you were on the internet initially, it's like, oh, don't go and put your credit card on that website unless it has that little symbol at the bottom of right. trust, right? And you're like, okay, does it have that little symbol? Okay, I can put my credit card in. Right. Um, so I think they allowed the mayhem to take place so all the Americans think it's it's rubbish and that there was an indirect way to keep Americans from getting more educated and learning, right? And seeing that, hey, this is just a this is just something to get our, our, our attention off of the underlying technology is revolutionary, right? There's just no question. So I uh, I am concerned for our country right now and I'm we're looking at we have developers in Brazil right now in Europe. Um, we have some here in the U.S., but um, we're looking at, unfortunately, having to leave the U.S. right now. Wow. Yeah. And you see that as a trend in today's business world, companies leaving the U.S.? Oh, yeah. Uh, they've shut down all the Web3 companies. So you can't, you know, in essence, the way we use crypto is it's infrastructure, right? It's way for us to have less expenses on payments and transactions, right? It's a it's a railroad, right, for us. It's the new internet. And so when you have efficiencies as a business, well, I'm gonna use it. I'm not gonna have my customers pay 3% for a transaction and then don't get their money for 10 days. So what we're seeing is that when you don't have an environment that is fostering this innovation and you have fear that you're going to get shut down. What happens? Investors are on the sideline. They're not funding any of these companies right now. And again, it keeps going in these spurts that we have a good thing. And then 
something bad happens. So investors go to the sideline. But Coinbase, we think, is probably going to move their headquarters to Dubai. A big stablecoin, one of the largest stablecoin companies circle, they just, they moved their headquarters to Paris. So they're all moving, they're all leaving. And, you know, we have a brain drain already problem in this country. It's hard enough to get the resources that we need. So, you know, we're going to India, to Europe. Europe's been very progressive and very embracing it. But uh, we are just in denial, I think, because we, you know, Gensler says, well, you know, we have the dollar. It's like, well, we have a paper dollar <laughs> that now has been overprinted <laughs> and um, really can't operate in this new internet. Actually very tragic. So for the listeners, including myself, that are not know a lot about Web3, what's kind of a general definition, uh, summary of it? So think of the Web3 as you are entering the internet with your wallet. And so what that means is like when you're using your wallet today, I don't know if you have this, like with, you know, if you have Chase or any of them, they're using biometrics for you to log in. There's a lot of new data kind of security things for you to get access and moving to passwordless sort of thing. So just think of that experience is you're getting into your bank or you're doing whatever financial transaction. That's the new internet, right? Today's internet is you have to go to every site, you have to give them all your information, right? Fill out forms, all of that. In the new internet, it's going to be, hey, this is my wallet, this is my credentials, and I will, if I want your service or whatever, I'm going to open up my email or my identity or whatever. But that's just between you and I. If there is not this extended, right now what's happening is there's an extended. So when you do a single sign-on and you're using your Google, right? There's a lot of people <laughs> that have access to you signing in and doing that. Whereas now we're going to be leading with a wallet that we have more control of right? Whether it's my healthcare data. So there will be a much more of a seamless experience to the internet where we're not having to fill out all sorts of forms and remember passwords. But what's happening behind the scenes is you're creating really your own portfolio, right? So you've got your portfolio of your credentials. Did you really go to Harvard, right? Did you really finish these classes? So you'll get tokens that validate whether you show it on LinkedIn or whatever, that yes, I really did go to this university. I really am a person. I'm not a bot. <laughs> right. So that's, you know, in a very just experiential way. But the problem is most websites, just like before, aren't prepared. They don't have this new railroad, right? Which is the blockchain. And it's just a way to validate using a ledger that an event happened. It's just a timestamp that no one can change, you know, that, hey, I just paid you $20, there's no question. We can go back and look at a reference. We don't know, I don't know you or you, well, we can do an anonymous transaction. I think what people think is, all my, all my information is gonna be on the blockchain, I don't want it, it's public. And that's not true. There's ways with technology that you can, um, keep information um, encrypted, right? That can't be decrypted where personal information is private and, and not, you're not able to sort of backtrack and 
rediscover who that person is or what potentially that asset transaction was. So obviously, uh, small companies are playing a lot in this space and uh, doing the innovation. But do you see any of the large companies, I'll just say Fortune 1000, just broaden it, that are that get this space and are uh, and are doing things about it? That's starting to happen now. So I think they wanted to sort of shut down the innovation and now the big players are coming in. So BlackRock just announced that they have applied for their ETF funds for Bitcoin and Ethereum and I think Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash or something. There's like four or five. Now those will be for institutions. They're not for retail. So unfortunately, the everyday American is not going to have access to that. Now, Fidelity and yesterday, just they've been working for about the past six months on their crypto fund and with Charles Schwab and a couple others. But again, very much focused on institutional. And I think that was um, planned that let the big players come in, take control of the market, and then eventually it will uh, be offered to you and I. But you and I can buy that today, right? That's that's the beauty of this new opportunity that anyone, I've been, <laughs> I've lost a lot of friends. <laughs> I've lost a lot because I've been on this road for so long. Every Uber I get into, wait, do you have a, do you have a digital wallet? You know, I, I can send you this. You'll get $5 worth of Bitcoin. Just do it every week. Just put $5 and buy Bitcoin. Just sit on it. It's the best savings account that you can you can do for yourself. Um, but it's just, again, very, you know, we're taught to be in debt our whole life, right? That is, you know, the dollar is a debt instrument and crypto is a bearer asset, right? You can assign a value, whether it's an object that's assigned to it or the actual value of just owning it, right? Like it's a limited supply. It's based on a scarcity concept. So the more that it is, just like money needs to be in demand, right? It's about the movement of money. And so when the dollar isn't in demand, because there's other instruments that can move value faster and cheaper, we're, we're definitely, and I don't mean to be so doom and gloom. We've been in front of Congress again this week. We are fighting hard to um, help open the gates for you know companies to flourish here and I, it's, yeah, it's a long journey. Yeah. So uh, when was the first time you testified uh, or were in front of Congress about these topics? Well, my first, I was actually in front of the U.S. Treasury in 2019. And I presented like the future. I said, you know, we were, we had, I think I told you kind of crazy. We had designed an AI chip for the U.S. Air Force and this intelligent chip. It's a whole other story, uh, but it's part of my like bigger plan, right? My bigger idea. And I said, hey, here's what's happening. China has been working on their own digital yuan. They deployed it out to like 2 million customers in China. This was 2018, I think. And I said, you know, you understand how they issued those tokens. They could be used at Starbucks. McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Subways. So it was like in your face. We're going to actually use our new digital money only in American branded <laughs> companies. And I just said, we have got 
to make a move. This is happening, right? This is, they're going to turn the switch. All their contracts, everything they own and run will turn the switch to their new digital currency. And I said, this is the pathway how American, we can keep our privacy and protection. We can reduce surveillance, right? Because that's what we're concerned about, right? And um, I said, this is the future. This is our recommendation. And they just said, basically, Americans will never go for this. Never go for what you're saying. And I said, but this, like, this is our only way. We have to look at how we peg the dollar back in um, with the petrodollar, right? So we basically forced everyone to buy oil in US dollars. And I said, well, if you can get ahead of this, everything will be embedded with chip and sensors, right? If from the onset, those chips and sensors are born, digitally, they know their value is pegged to the dollar, right? So you win, right? Like they're gonna be embedded in everything. And so if you could look at it, turning it to that perspective of from a GDP, like everything that we're producing is pegged. Uh, but yeah, it was really sad. So outside the two companies you founded uh, that you're still running, Title Chain and uh, Borsetta Labs, mm -hmm. what, what was your, because I don't think I've ever, I've had about 25, 30 guests on the podcast so far, I just launched in January uh, 2023, and no one has had uh, as many companies they either founded or co-founded than you, Pamela, so this is a, it's exciting to talk to you, but what, what was your favorite one uh, outside of the two you're running right now? and why so the favorite was the mobile internet on the go and so what we presented to airports uh and again it's so funny because i was standing there with the head of facilities for new york port authority and i said hey carl this is what's going to happen all these pay phones they're all going to be gone these you know these tvs with cnn you're not going to make money off of cnn anymore people are not they're going to be on their devices so we need to create environments, you know, like of the future for airports are going to be like living rooms, right? We, we need to create a conducive environment for people as they're traveling to plug in and, and to interact with physical advertising to mobile. So we launched that we launched in the three airports in New York and were, were acquired, but why it was my favorite was because it was so disruptive. And I can look back now, well, that's a whole nother earnout. Another story for another day on, on, on deals that don't go necessarily the way you'd like, uh, but I saw it, right? And so now as I go to airports 20 years later, it's kind of sad that we didn't have the impact that we really wanted to. Now we see airports that do seem more like your living room, right? So they're trying to create this environment where it's comfortable, the lighting is better, you've got a bunch of areas to plug in, to work. Um, so. While I would have liked that to happen sooner than 20 years, it's exciting to see that idea is finally coming to market, but it wasn't in my time. And that's my concern now with crypto is that I'm always painfully early. It's just brutal. I mean, the I've been in the um, arena for a very long time <laughs> and, you know, it takes not only a lot of courage, but it's, you know, it's, I don't fit the profile of people think, you know, one should look like, I guess, or didn't come from an elite privileged background. So totally hard worker and a lot of grit, but I 
I'm doing this really for my why. I know that if we don't get ahead of this from a personal privacy perspective, property title rights and ownership of our ideas, our creative ideas of the mind that we will lose everything that we stand for in this country. And um, so that's ultimately what I'm fighting for. I hope it's not 20 years from now that it will, will be a surveillance 1984 uh, state. <laughs> right. Um, so I, it's my why, right? And that's, I think, what sustains, you know, when it's beyond just, hey, I want to make a ton of money. And, you know, it's really, I, I know the market's there. I know the opportunities there. You know, I'm looking for people to come alongside us and support us. And we're just really trying to make an impact. Yeah, so uh, we'll talk more about that uh, when we talk about your current companies. But since I've been in the mainly marketing and uh, sales uh, tech space uh, my whole career, I'm interested when you founded uh, Activate and you uh, it was an agency using uh, AI, machine learning, NLP, and doing mood marketing. So tell me your thought behind one find, founding that type of company and your experience there, because it was almost a 10 year journey, it looked like in your bio. With the onset of Twitter and all social media, I felt like companies needed to get ahead of the conversation, right? They needed to lead with being honest and not just their mission on a wall, like, hey, we're all this. It's like, no, you have to lead with this. Yeah. So I really felt like helping startups with um, embracing that and how do you embrace the tools to help you lead with it, that you're really living and breathing because now you're leaving a footprint. Um, and then I got interested in, I saw the power of the natural language processing that was really coming about and how we could take advertising and incorporate more of learning how people's moods and what they were posting. So if they were posting something that was sad or lonely that we could do some intelligence delivery of ads that would be helpful for them without intruding on their privacy. But like, how could we use advertising in a much more proactive, supportive way than just a monetization? You know, again, the, the struggle with that is so early on, you know, it's trying to help people lead with a social impact. And the perception is, well, that's kind of soft. You know, that's not really, business is about this, about the numbers. And I'm like, yeah, it's about the numbers. But what's going to happen is over time, you're going to lose those numbers because you're not being authentic. And companies need to be authentic. And now we have such, as you see now, all these brands being blasted every which way from every angle because they haven't really built up their true core being, if you will, their really standing up for, no, this is what we believe and this is who we are. And yes, we're going to have people that don't align with us and we respect that. But, and so now you see how, how that has transitioned to companies being on the, you know, reactive side all the time. It's just, um, it's unfortunate, right? But it was a, it was a good learning model. We, we launched a lot of projects around social impact. Uh, we did some projects around educating around HIV awareness for Hispanic communities because they were really, unfortunately, was very taboo in the community to talk about it. So we created some really interesting 
mood marketing campaigns around that. And so I enjoyed that a lot because it was just a way to leverage tech that was leading more with social connections rather than just monetizations, you know, of selling more ads. Yeah, because you've seemed to have a very interesting career. I mean, very heavily tech focused technology. Uh, but then, you know, you had the Activate, which obviously was in the AI uh, machine learning space. Uh, but then you had BDI Interactive, which was a full service creative agency, which so, you know, uh, how do you I mean, you, you obviously have the creative side. That's why you weren't good in HR and that would make you a good right. marketer. But you also I mean, you have patents and other things. So you're obviously very great at tech. So I think explain that uh in terms of your journey was it a did you have a career strategy or did you just things just happened you know i think in the last seven years um i've really worked on myself right because i think um especially for women in business like i i'm more reflective now um that you kind of just follow this pathway of how you dress how you talk you know you you share ideas, but you don't really lead with ideas, right? You know, you need to be demure and you need to be quiet. Don't be a bitch, right? Because the perception, if you're strong, you know, all those messages that were told keep us playing small. And so I was constantly trying to play big and not with a big ego. It was just, I want to be able to provide a pathway for other women to follow. I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to raise money. I know, I mean, I have all the battle scars. So in the work that I've done is just really, you know, when you have perspective, you have possibilities. And that's what I was always trying to lead with is if I looked at the sky is falling and yes, crypto is falling, we need to leave or whatever. I'm going to have a shitty day. You know, it's just, I, I need to say, Hey, what are our wins this week? What are our gains? Like we have, you know, the truth is we've got a great product. We have a great team. We have great opportunity. It's it's a fight, right? Because when something is this big, does not come easy. And so I invested in myself. And I think, um, especially for a lot of women, like the whole coach thing, it's like, oh man. And I I got into a program <laughs> with he was a three hundred pound uh, football champion that uh, has a very great skill at um, coaching uh, female CEOs, right? So when you have a 300 like You do what that person says. Yeah, you know, and you're like, uh, you know, you're in this intense, it's a, it's like a Navy SEAL thing where you're just, it's mental, physical, emotional, everything. Like you are just in, and that's so opposite of what like most women are like, you know what, I can't really do that because I need to wait. I need to lose some weight before I go. And, you know, all these excuses we have because it looks so hard. But it helped me realize that there is no finish line. You are in the game. There is no, oh, hey, if I get this and if I get this. And when you're true to your why and you are true to who you are, it's like I am wired very differently. I get it. I have a hyperactive imagination which I was told from this one um, teacher I had on uh, decision design thinking. And I was like, oh, you know what? That's actually a compliment. I'm really, I'm going to take it as a compliment because I know that, right? So how do I use that hyperactive imagination? How do I direct it? And if you were to say to me 10 years ago, you're actually going to develop out a very detailed methods. 
and systems utility patent that covers this entire new economy, like you, I would say to you, there's no way, there's no way. And to now, after five years of fighting and educating, you know, it's a very revolutionary. I'm super proud of the work, but I could not have, I cannot be sitting here today had I not gone through that experience to really just be okay with myself, right? Because we're so hard on ourselves. We're so like constantly like, oh, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And when you are like, hey, what's my 30, 60, 90? Let's back it up. What's the one thing I have to do today to move my business, to move my health, to move my family, my relationships better, right? So we get out of this constant, you know, looking back or looking forward and we're not here present. And my hope is just to help others, right? Because I've launched a lot of companies. I've had a lot of failures or, or what I say that weren't successful. It's not failures. It just, you know, I'm falling forward. Yeah. <laughs> They're learnings, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm learning. It's like, damn, it's so hard. It's so hard. And it is so hard, but I am, really excited about the future and how we're creating a new business entity. I want to help onboard entrepreneurs onto title chain because this new business entity has intelligence built into it, right? We are creating the new, you know, marketing agents, right? In our company, right? She's going to be fully onboarding conversational AI. I want her job to help her but you still need human intelligence. You need, you still need human decision, you know, making. So I want to help spin up millions of these companies, right? Get, get it registered, get your wallet, get your credential, learn how your business is going to be more efficient, learn how your ideas, you can be compensated, whether you're a musician or, you know, you just are, Hey, I'm a tinkerer. I'm an inventor. I want to put my stuff in this new marketplace. Maybe somebody will pay me. And that to me is the most exciting, you know, when you can help people not only see and live their dreams, but people can help take care of their families, put their kids through school. And I think we're in this renaissance, right? And I wanna, you know, help be part of it and help empower specifically uh, women-led ventures because I, I, you know, I know how, I know how hard it is. Yeah. So during this period of self-reflection, I mean, I, I did when I was researching for our talk today, I saw you posted in, in LinkedIn, I think it was uh, September 12th, 2021, maybe about maybe your experience with uh, founding that company that got acquired and you, you know, you had not talked about and you talked about buying the, the Swatch uh, yeah. on 9-11 yeah. in the Port Authority yeah shopping area or whatever but uh, yeah just uh, tell the audience a little bit about your experience what made you write it was it cathartic for you doing all that yeah it was because i never had really talked about that experience and you know i had an exit with that company about two months before 9 11 and the journey for me was really hard because it's your baby right you get acquired we were not successful raising money from VCs. And so the earnout, we knew there were some gotchas and those gotchas, you know, getcha. But why I posted that was to just be honest about the pain because I just kept it in like it, you know, I didn't talk about it. No one knew some of the reasons why I had to, you know, file 
for, um, yeah, why I had to file. I had to wait 20 years to really talk about that. <laughs> and we're just taught not to rock the boat, right? And so doing that, you know, I had to stand up for myself. And even standing up for myself, most people didn't know why I was standing up for myself. And so that combination, I would have been in that building that day uh, had I not gotten out of my earnout, you know, two months before. You know, I had two young children at home and it just gave me the ability to really reflect on what was important. And like, it was actually a gift that that happened. And as bad as it was, and that I had to get lawyers and had to go through the mud, I, I still have my life, right? right? And I had an opportunity to be with my children and to raise them. And uh, so it was super emotional because, you know, you just stuff, you stuff so many things that happen. And, and then when you're able to like relook at it and say, oh my gosh, that was such a gift. I'm actually so grateful because not only did I learn so much from that, but those relationships are that much sweeter, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah. I didn't think I would get a little teary-eyed here, boy. But no, I, thank you for, yeah, bringing that up because it just, I had to, you know, just get it out, right? That's that's one of the things that's so nice about posting is like you at least yeah. feel, hey, you're being honest. Yeah, I actually, uh, so I grew up in New York, uh, went to school in Manhattan College in the Bronx. And uh, one of my closest friends I met on the first day uh, and in college and we're friends to this day, but him and another friend actually worked in the, in the, I can't remember, North or South Tower. And they were, they had an office of 17. It was a small satellite office of this storage firm, uh, tech firm. And they both weren't in the office that day for different reasons on 9-11, but the whole, the rest of the people perished that day in 9-11. Mm. So, yeah, I, I can't even imagine. It's just, uh, just, you know, having gone through that and everything happens for a reason. And so yeah. even yeah. though it was a traumatic experience that, um, seems that there was other things involved in your lawsuit also yeah. that was more traumatic. Um, yeah. um, so do you think after that experience, it, it shaped you when you founded your other companies or did you have to wait kind of to started doing, uh, you know, your kind of work on yourself to kind of realize the benefits from that experience? I think it was like two years I couldn't get on a plane. So I didn't travel for, for two years after that and was doing just a little consulting because I, you know, still always love my children, love raising them and everything, but still wanted to stay connected. And I think that's the other struggle that women have is, Hey, if you take any time off, you know, it, it can hurt your career. Right. Which is unfortunate and it's not, not the way it should be, but I did like, that's just how I'm wired, right? I, I love sort of the challenge of helping, uh, especially startups. So I spent time just um, doing a lot because the whole e-commerce and all of that was exploding at that time and just stayed for a couple of years before. And then that's when uh, I launched BBI and I said, hey, let's let's start onboarding some of these new startups and just helping them. Because typically what happens with, most tech startups is they're, you know, either the founders or co-founders are highly tech, techie, 
and they have great, great products, but they don't know how to get them to market. So we help kind of incubate. And that's really one of my favorite things. And that's what I'm hoping to do with Tidal Chain is just help incubate. There's so many awesome new companies that we can help um, launch. And so I want to kind of create like a, I call them a digital asset company in a box, right? So they can help onboard and, um, you know, provide that pathway for um, for entrepreneurialism. I just, I think it's it's so exciting when you see people take their ideas and go to market and, yeah. So is it for Title Chain then? Is there a specific client profile? Is it any entrepreneur that you could help? And what's the main way you help them? You know, we talk about more generalities for people not as intelligent in yeah. the space as you are, Pamela. Okay. No, so at first right now, we're focused on uh, intellectual property. So patents, trademarks, copyrights. So we are testing with some IP law firms, right? So they control a lot of uh, intellectual capital for, for companies. So there's like an enterprise play um, that we're looking at there. And then we're spinning up two companies that uh, one is a digital health initiative that will also be a cooperative. And that focus is for veterans right now. So we're onboarding a pilot use case and showcasing how their identity is secured, their health data is secured and their connection with their doctor. Uh, this is more around uh, focus on mental health. Like a, it's this AI nudge theory of like, hey, did you take your pill today? So very uh, ways to kind of help with you know, some of the onset of dementia and help ensure that the guardians are connected in a secure way. And then the um, second one is called Quanta, which is a new media, so entertainment. So we'll be onboarding, you know, again, test use cases, musicians, uh, photographers, you know, artisans, so they can take control of their brand, their, their identity, uh, and then go through whatever copyrights, trademarks. So we, in essence, mint these NFTs, which again, are just like a master of, you know, it may be a manuscript, right? Or whatever. And so that's our, our second one. And the goal is to help spin those into new companies. So title chain becomes the engine for all these new uh, types of companies. So that's our two kind of focus areas. And so we've got, you know, personalized AI education, um, some things percolating there, new energy. That's another area that I'm really passionate about. But IP of any, the uh, IP marketplace will be, I think, a, a tremendous opportunity for innovation, for people to fund research and development. Um, but digital health, I think, is is probably one of the most exciting personalized health for this country right now because everything, as you know, is broken. <laughs> yeah. There's some percentage of U.S. citizens out there that would say, I don't care who has my data and what they see about me. What I mean, what what would you say to, to them? I I think a lot of people say that just because they don't there's no options. We feel out of control. It's like, oh, yeah, another breach, another breach. What does that mean? Right. But underlying what people don't realize what that means is that you have so much fraud happening, right? So, so many people taking children's social security cards, like numbers. And so your child who's not working yet, their, their social security number is already being used. Like you just think, oh, well, another hack, I don't really care. 
So you've got all of this underground activity happening with your personal information. And now you add in AI, it's even more like they can, you know, take your voice, they can take your identity, they can completely create a synthetic you that's not, that's taking out loans that, you know, and so you think, hey, I'm not impacted. But when you can't go get a loan, you can't go buy a car, and then you have this, even though it's not your debt, right, but just the process, right, people have to go through to try to get, I, I know so many people try to get their identity back. If it's really been compromised, you are effed. You are, like, it is. And the sophistication that's happening right now, and so they have all of our data. I mean, they, they, they and overlay and overlay and overlay. And so... Um, that I, I think we cannot take that attitude anymore. It is, it is, um, uh, it is beyond like what I'm seeing and the fact that now they can take our data and make decisions based on like my name, Pamela, right? They already know I'm a child of the sixties. Okay. Because it's not, it was only a popular name in the sixties. So they've already, you know, figured out my age, even if they don't have anything else, they can figure out a lot of other things and create a profile on me and basically charge me maybe a higher interest rate. You know, there's so many things that can be done with that data. That's not like, wait, how can you charge me more than Jeff just because I'm my name you assume is this or whatever. So that's the concern I have just because I see so much like bad stuff. And I know how powerful the tech is that it, you know, I think everyone should be concerned and should want their own self-sovereign identity. So I'm trying to get that passed. Yeah. And I have to ask you, because you brought it up when you mentioned uh, iPhones. Uh, so I'm a fellow iPhone user, but I you know, noticed in our email communication, one of the emails you sent was from your iPhone because you had the, your, the tagline, uh, oh. uh, signature line sent from my newly wandering iPhone. So I didn't know <laughs> if that was a privacy thing or you had recently lost your phone, but I, I, I would love to hear why that was your signature line when you sent an email from your phone. <laughs> well, that one, yeah, I probably need to update that because, you know, once we started getting out of the pandemic, you know, that we were able to start kind of moving around. So I was like, well, now I'm, I'm wandering now oh, with my new iPhone, but working from different yeah, locations. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. But, um, no, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Pamela, there's two groups I love to help with advice from uh, people that have great careers and are great leaders and, and, and thought leaders like yourself. One is the recent college graduates. So we're sitting here in June of 2023, last month, May, you know, a bunch of uh, seniors graduated uh, various colleges and universities. What advice would you give them as they embark getting their first job out of professional job out of college? Uh, I would just say, in, I know they've invested in themselves because they're graduates, but you cannot think that you just because you graduated, you're ready to go. Like you need to continue to invest in yourself. There's so many free courses, uh, Coursera, there's a ton that you can go on and get updated credentials. So start building your LinkedIn, number one. Start taking whatever additional courses specifically in conversational AI and understanding the difference between generative AI 
and AI that is in um, a more closed system, more um, what's quantitative system. So start just whatever area that you're interested in, those tools will help you. Because if you are, you know, if you're interviewing at all, you can say, hey, I've taken these four classes. I understand the concerns around AI, understand how it's going to, you know, improve my job for here, right? So you're able to then say, hey, this is what I've learned. This is why I'm going to be the best for this job, because I understand how AI will slowly be incorporated because it will. There's no question. So the more that they are prepared to say, hey, I am truly open to this. That's what I look for. I look for people. I, I look for what are they reading? Where are they spending their time outside of work? And so the more that that it's authentic, right? That they're not just you know saying, hey, I'm doing this and this, but people want well-rounded. They want curious, right? They want learners and teachers, right? What they've, what they've learned in school, but that would be just my number one. And it's all these classes are free. So it's not like they've got to start paying, but as they build up those credentials, it looks good because the search engines pick it up, you know, all of that. Yeah. Sure. And there, is there one course or book or other resource on AI? If you, if you had to give them one recommendation uh, to learn AI or get the foundation of AI uh, to start, what would that be? In my blink list, I just finished. Hi, I've got like 25 books right now. Um, that's like my favorite because the blink list just gives, I've got a couple different, the, and I can send it to you that you can post. Um, yeah, send it to me and I'll just post it. AI and, um, but I think one that's really interesting, a company that we work with that's been around for 20 plus years, it's called uh, Amelia. Originally it was called IPsoft. And just start doing some research on Amelia. She's now been uh, with conversational AI for about eight years. Um, she's different than the generative because, you know, generative is all about like imagination and ideas. That's why you get some hallucinations of like, wow, what, what is that? Whereas with Amelia, you know, she's learned from large, these large models over time that she's making deterministic things. Like you say, hey, I, hey, Amelia, can you move next month? Can you move 500 from my savings into my checking? And she then has learning things to say, hey, last month you were short in this. So you're going to need to put 700. Is that okay? You can't have generative doing that kind of stuff. So if they are start understanding the difference, they're going to be able to see how that helps in their job because it's all about business workflows, right? So Amelia is following our business workflows to make sure our product is easier for you to onboard and she's learning over time. She'll be your personal agent, right? So she has a more cognitive ability to make connections of, hey, you didn't take whatever medication, right? You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to check in with me. You didn't do that today, right? You know, those things. Very helpful, especially for the elderly. Like I'm so excited to get my mom and dad on Amelia <laughs> and myself, myself, actually, number one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great uh, recommendation. Um, 
The second group I uh, love to help is, you know, when you start your professional career, usually an individual your individual contributor, there's nobody reporting to you. But once you get that promotion, now you have people reporting to you. What uh, leadership advice would you give them as they embark on, on that their leadership journey? Just to be the best listener that they can. So really just listening, tapping into um, what you're seeing. You need to be very decisive. Typically, when you have a gut about something or someone, you, you need to confront it and you need to do it in a very authentic and uh, you can do it in a kind way. But most people, yeah, let's wait, let's put them on a you know performance thing. Let's wait another 90 days. Let's wait, you know, that will kill a team, right? Because if there is a bad egg that it will kill a team faster than anything. So you've got to be extremely decisive and it might seem to be that you're not nice or whatever, right? Doesn't, it's just the reality is you, you can't, it impacts the team, it impacts performance and you can't afford to have those naysayers like, or whatever it is, right? There's like, I don't, you know, I, I've learned over time that that comes back and bites you in the ass. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a cancer, right? For the culture yeah. of the team. Yeah. 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 And everybody knows it, you know. So. Yeah, right. They get a mulligan and, you know, then they go to another group and it's just the same old stuff. So right. they try to pass them off to someone else. But um, that would be my, yeah, my, um, and it's it's tough, especially, you know, as a new manager, you know, you want everyone to like you and you want to, you know, do well and do great. And you don't want to be like, oh, wow, I picked a bad person. You know, what's wrong with me? It's like, hey, you know, it takes, I don't know, is it? takes three months or six months to really get to know someone I think mm -hmm. they start you know showing their real colors after about six months I think so mm, yeah yeah you can get fooled during the interview process <laughs> yeah yeah now I'm hoping to use AI right <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it uh, well, Pamela, you, you've had a fantastic career and I, I, I just have your expertise and what you're doing. And I, I love your authenticity and your transparency. And, you know, I, um, you've been a pleasure to talk to. So thank well, you for thank coming you. on the corporate couch today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I just thought Pamela was fascinating. I mean, all the companies she founded and became CEO of and you know, her pivot from marketing to technology, she has patents. And just, I love learning more about AI and blockchain and uh, Web3. I, you know, I don't have a lot of knowledge in the space, but I do want to bring up, I mean, you know, 9-11 was yeah. you know, such a tragedy and just has lingering effects to this day. And she would have worked for the company she founded and died in 9-11 if, if they did not buy her company out two months earlier. Yeah. And it was a tragic, I mean, obviously 9-11 was a tragedy, but, you know, the whole, there was seemed some like underlying issues with the buyout that she had to go to court. She didn't really expand on it. But, you know, I had two friends, close friends that would have died in 9-11 if they had been in the office that day. So that was really, I mean, it was just a fascinating episode, I thought, and she's done a lot of great things. Joe, what did you take away from it? 
Yeah, she uh, has an amazing story with all the companies that she founded and the, the way that she came about to all of those things, I think is amazing. And it's interesting that she kind of did the opposite direction that you and I did. You and I did um, IT and went into our MBA program and ended up in marketing. She started out in marketing and turned around and went into the technical side and the IT side. And the whole AI thing is just amazing. Well, Joe, that's a good point. The other thing is I love her talk about underlying AI and how it's going to change everything. But also the three revolutions she talked about going on right now, finance, internet revolution, business revolution with the pandemic and all the, the changing nature of business and how companies yeah. are run. I thought that was fascinating also. And it's almost like where we were in the 90s with the internet when it was sort of dumped on us. And we all kind of looked at it and said, so what? What do we do with this? And AI is kind of turning into being something like that. It's like, wow, this is really amazing. This is this is really something new. But what are we going to do with it? And she's right at the forefront trying to figure that out. I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Any leadership advice you want to give to the audience? Yeah, we are going to go to that great philosopher, Michael Scott. He's one of our favorites. Where one time when he said, you know, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.